Alberto Mendes Rebolo. Energy is complicated, but it affects everybody. Pain is some serious business. It ain't everyone who knows what to do about it. Now I hear there's a podcast just about this. It doesn't talk of pain alone, but other interesting things distracting the mind from it. So I suggest you tune in to Outsmart the Pain and listen to what Karsten has to say about it. Get ahead. Get it done. Listen to the podcast and maybe change your life or someone else's. Welcome everyone to this episode of Outsmart the Pain. Uh, today I have a very interesting guest. His name is Alberto Mendes Rebolo. Warmly welcome to this episode. Thank you, Garsten. Uh, nice meeting you and happy to be here. Very honored. Oh, thank you. I heard that you listened to my pod before. I have never met anyone who listened to me before. So I'm <laughs> now you're in the pod that you actually have been listening to. Really like that. Yeah, I like it and I think it's, it's really inspiring what you're doing. And, and I think it gives many of us who have pain in our lives, you know, uh, give us inspiration, it give us perspectives. In your podcast, you also learn about something else. So so it's a very good combination. It's, it's attractive and I, I enjoy listening to it. Oh, thank you very much. And actually, I, I didn't um, plan on talking about pain, but you said something about pain. So maybe we get back to that. But today we will actually talk about energy. And this is a, a subject which is very, very important to everyone uh, on, on a shallow perspective. Maybe it has become very expensive and therefore everyone starts to talk about it on a more deeper level. It's uh, about our planet's future. And, and I'm not talking about saving our planet, uh, but how to have enough energy and, and that, which might go hand in hand. I don't know, but these are really important questions. I wanted to speak with you because you seem to be a, a very wise and intelligent person. And, and I love talking to people who are better than I am. <laughs> but as always, I know very little about the people I talk to. So, so could you make a short introduction to the listener on who you are? F for instance, Mendes Rebolo does not sound completely native Swedish, huh? <laughs> I'm a Spanish, of course, and I've been living in Sweden uh, 13 years. I moved here for family reasons. Uh, I fell in love with a Swedish girl and became the mother of three children. And we lived many years in, in Spain and some in China as well. Our first daughter was born in Beijing and, and then she said, it's time to move back to Sweden. Then I learned that uh, Swedish people love traveling, love living abroad for a part of their life. But when they get pregnant, there's something switches and all of a sudden they want to come home. Probably for very good reasons, right? Probably to give the children the childhood that they had. We live Sweden is one of the best countries in the world to raise children. The country invests a lot on children and the parents that take care of these children and the doggies and the people. But I think uh, children is the future of a country. So I, I think it's really, really wise. And I can understand why Swedish people want to come back home to raise their kids. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm here. That's more on the personal, but professionally, I'm an electrical engineer and I've been working uh, around 28 years in, in the energy transition, but mostly wind power. And in my time in Sweden, I worked 12 years in Vattenfall, six years as head of wind power uh, there. And the last six and a half years as, as chief procurement officer, mm -hmm. uh, where I work with all the different divisions, the, the nuclear business, the, the wind business, etc. It gave me an opportunity to really have a very uh, broad understanding on the value chain of energy. Energy is, is, is a complex thing. There are different parts, moving parts on the energy system and, and the value chain behind them. And this position allowed me to work with all parts of the energy from production through the grid to the consumption and the final consumer. And then a couple of years ago, we started to discuss with my partners in PlexiGrid. We are three co-founders. The grid is not up for the job for the energy transition. The grid is, is lagging behind. 
the grid is becoming a bottleneck. It's, it's not digital enough. It's not flexible enough. That's creating big, big problems. When you say the grid, you mean all the electrical lines in the country? Exactly. All the electrical lines, uh, all the cables that, that connect uh, the production plants all the way to, to your home. You could think of us as a little Ericsson. Ericsson develops network technology for network operators, but these network operators are telecom network operators, right? We, we are developing um, network technology for electricity network operators. That's basically the big introduction. Yeah, maybe too long. <laughs> no, that, that that was excellent. Uh, the Ericsson for electricity. Uh, that was a very good comparison. Now the listener really understands that we are we are talking to a professional, uh, a technical professional, which will be very interesting. And uh, for everyone that listens, will understand that I will only ask stupid questions because I know nothing about this. And uh, as usual, I have no other agenda with my talk than having an interesting conversation. But this being such an important subject, and there is an election coming up in Sweden, and I don't know if this show will be aired before or after the election, but I must ask you if you in any way is, is politically engaged or very upfront being you know, on the green, left or right side of politics, or can we talk technique and things like that quite freely today? Because you said wind power. And I know that a lot of people, just when they hear you saying wind power, they made up their minds. Oh, I won't listen to him because he will just talk about wind power. And the other half says, oh, this is a great guy, just by saying one word. It's like yeah. saying that you're a Christian or Muslim or whatever. You, you make up your mind after one word and you said the word wind. <laughs> so let me hear, are, are you uh, trying now to sell something politically? I'm politically not engaged, so I'm not going to talk about uh, parties and so on. Every now and then I vote when I think it's, it's useful and uh, uh, I will not tell you who I vote. That's my secret, but I can tell you that I have changed vote, which I think is a uh, a very important thing in a functioning democracy uh, that, that you are prepared to, you know, um, support one party or the other that maybe in this political cycle, certain things are more important than other things and, and, and things like this. Or you voted through somebody who promised a lot of things and delivered nothing and then you change your vote. I, I think this is, this is important. Uh, I think politics are deeply entrenched into energy for good and bad. So, I mean, to talk about one of the most important things in a country is energy. I read nuclear science in uh, university. I graduated uh, these subjects. I was very interested in nuclear physics, uh, nuclear technology, nu nuclear reactors, uh, radiological protection. My view on energy is that it should be a technocratic exercise uh, long term. Therefore, it should be behind a bipartisan long-term consensus. Mm. That's true, not only for energy. I believe for energy, for education, for healthcare, and for defense. For these four matters, this is my personal opinion. So you need to have an energy policy, the same thing that you need to have education policy, or you need to have a defense strategy. And this is one of the essential things. On the other hand, sadly, I must say, and particularly in Sweden, that politicians are using this for campaigning. I find that in Sweden, much of the energy discussions become non-fact-based, either from one pro-nuclear part or the pro-green part. It becomes exactly like you described it, that a religious team where, where you, you know, you're Muslim or you're Christian or you are atheist and, or you get labeled and, and there's no more discussion anymore. Uh, there should be a long-term uh, consensus between government and, and opposition. You cannot change education law every four years. You cannot change energy policy every four years, you know, uh, and the, and the pension system and it, things like that. Or the pension yeah. system every four years mm. or the healthcare system every four years. Uh, there needs to be some sort of high-level consensus on on, mm. on the direction. Then you can have different flavors or twists here or there, but but on the basics, that there, there shall be, in my view, a, a consensus. Okay. 
now I'm even more impressed that you are actually a doctorate in nuclear uh, physics in, in some sense. So you've been working both with that and with other energy forms. Talking about the, the politics, uh, we are not going to talk about sides or what politicians think, but I've heard very different explanations why energy is at such a high cost in Sweden right now. Some things I've heard is, for instance, that we have too little energy produced so we should need more of whatever it is if it's nuclear plants or anything else it's too little energy the other thing is that we actually have enough energy but we can't transport it from the northern part of sweden to the southern part of sweden and i've also heard that it's actually an economical political decision many years ago where we divided sweden in different areas and the most yeah. southern part was supposed to be conformed into EU prices and therefore the southern part of Sweden always will be most expensive in the whole of Sweden. And I have no idea what is right and I am absolutely sure that many politicians are not sure either but they use it as a way of saying that we're right. Yeah. So so but going away from the politics in <laughs> in that sense do you have any technical thoughts about these different views is anything more right than the other one seen from your perspective i agree with you there is a lot of misinformation out there this is rhetoric you take a piece of information and then try to build it into what you believe in and i think that's part of human nature uh, but i can tell you that sweden particularly sweden right uh, number one produces more power than it consumes so if you look at the national, the facts, the national statistics for electricity production and consumption within national borders, production exceeds uh, consumption. Go there, the Swedish government has the numbers. Sweden is a net exporter of energy. Uh, second is that, uh, well, particularly the last months, uh, it's been exporting a lot, supporting some, some other countries that are maybe facing some electricity supply constraints. So far, Sweden is well supplied of electricity. Uh, going forward, maybe there, there is a big increase on demand because Sweden is hosting a lot of green steel mills, for example, like hybrid, right? And that consumes a lot of power. Sweden wants to produce a lot of green hydrogen. Um, data centers are coming like Microsoft or Facebook has, has big data centers in Sweden because uh, power prices are low and electricity production is fossil free. Uh, Sweden produce power with hydropower and nuclear power and wind power and some solar. None of that is uh, polluting. So uh, you won't see many coal fired power stations or gas powered fire stations in Sweden. Uh, this low price, nearly carbon free uh, footprint in electricity supply makes it very, very attractive for, for energy intensive industries, right? who want cheap power, but also they, they want to be fossil free more and more, right? Uh, there is a strong demand and, and there is growth in demand. So yeah, if you want to accommodate this growth in demand, Sweden will need probably more production in the future. We need to talk about different countries. Sweden has 10 million people and a bigger uh, amount of square kilometers than Germany. And Germany has less land for 80 million. Uh, and a much larger economy and industrial activities. I always say that the energy policy that is the perfect formula for a country may be completely not possible for another country. So, you know, there is not such thing as the right answer. Sweden is privileged. You're floating in natural resources. You have land, you have hydropower, you have a lot of wind, both on and offshore. There is sun in Sweden as well. Certain months, you have land to put windmills and, and all of this. Sweden has a, a very efficient nuclear fleet as well. So Sweden is among the best uh, supplied power systems in the world today. I don't think it's a big crisis now, and uh, but if demand continues to increase in the future, we want to have more production. Prices, right? Why they are so high? First of all, are they higher than the rest of Europe? I have no nothing to compare with. They are as high as the rest of Europe, okay? Here we need to talk cost and price. There is the cost of producing something and the price at which you sell it, okay? So the production cost of hydropower stations 
in Sweden. And, and when you not... say hyd- hydropower, you mean vattenkraft, right? Vattenkraft. Yeah, okay, craft. good. So hydropower is water. Okay, vattenkraft production costs have not gone up because of the Russian war. And the cost of uranium, which is a fraction of the operating cost of a nuclear station, the fuel cost is very low. I don't think it has changed radically. You can't explain the increase in electricity prices by the increase in uranium prices for nuclear power stations. The cost of producing power in wind farms is the same. The wind has not become more expensive. And so the problem is in prices, not on cost. So many years ago, like in the 1980s, 1990s, we started to deregulate this, this market. And by the way, I don't want to be religious. I'm generally pro-market, generally pro-market person. Uh, I think the market economists, in, in my opinion, have managed to deliver better uh, quality of life than the Soviet system to citizens or, or to, to plan the economies. So I'm, I'm, I'm a market believer. And power electricity markets normally do the job quite well. Uh, but sometimes markets can become dysfunctional. Normally markets serve humans square quite well, but sometimes they, they run problems. So what we have here is more of a market problem, particularly for Sweden, right? What is happening now is that first of all, we have interconnected grids. So Sweden is connected electrically to, to Germany, to Denmark, to the Scandinavian neighbors. Okay. And the second is that the prices get set in what we call the pool system, right? North pool for the Nordics and, and Germany has other pool. And then there are also exchanges between import and export of power between countries. So what is that sending prices through the roof is the market that is uh, stressed. And we are importing that stress from other countries. In Germany, much of the production is fossil powered and a lot is gas powered. They have to pay now ridiculous amount of money for gas because of the war. Mm, because so of the war in, in Ukraine, okay. Exactly. And that is going up a lot. But in Sweden, where is this gas? Where, where do we use gas? We don't use gas in Sweden. Where is the gas power fire stations? You know, they are known. We produce, as I say, with nuclear, with hydro, and with wind, uh, a little bit of solar. But in Germany, they produce with gas, and in the UK, they produce with gas. We are interconnected electrically, but also market-wise, we are interconnected. There is certain interlinks, which didn't happen in the former national regulated monopolies. But now we are interconnected. And so the cost of producing electricity for a gas-fired power station in Germany has been multiplied by 10 because of that. Skyrocket mm. high, 10 times higher or something like that than it used to be. Then uh, the pool price, you should know one thing about that, that is marginal price setting, marginal price setting. So different power plants bid for a certain amount of power at a certain price. I offer 100 at 20 euro, the, another plant offers another 100 at 30 euro, another plant. Like so a stock market plant. for electricity. It's a stock market for electricity, but it's a special stock market. Then there is a demand for it. And who buys power in North Pool is the retailers. Like whoever sells you the power, like who sells that power to you? Is it Vattenfall or, or Fortum or who is yeah. your energy supplier? Is Fortum? We have something called uh, Elevio, but I don't know if that is the supplier. The grid. Yeah, you see, I, I don't even know who's supplying my energy. <laughs> but no problem. Imagine you have Sorretelia Energy. Sorretelia Energy has no power plants or anything, right? Or, or, or maybe they do, but not... not Normally, these retailers that sell you the electricity home, they go and buy it in North Pool, at North Pool price. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there is a supply and a demand. And, and the marginal unit, most expensive power plant, sets the price for the hour. And the power plants that were more expensive than that get out, right? They don't even produce because they were too expensive. But if that price, for example, is a gas power plant, in Germany with 240 oh. euros, the guys who offer 20 get also mm-hmm. 240 euro. Everybody that hour gets paid 240 euro. Oh. That is a market design question. Of course, 
nuclear power plants or, or wind power plants, they normally even be at zero. Why? Because they know that there will be a power plant that will set the price for them. So they bid uh -huh. zero to make sure they get in and produce for the hour, but they know they will gonna pay something more than zero because there are many production plants that are bidding low prices, but everybody gets paid by the highest price that gets into production. Can I just ask you why it was this way that the highest bidder get it? It sounds kind of uh, awkward uh, the other way around. Shouldn't it be a lower price that gets it? <laughs> no, I don't get this. I, imagine that the demand is 200, that supply is 300. Normally you have more power plants than demand, right? Mm. So you need to decide uh, out of the 300 units of supply, which 200 will get into production because demand is only 200. Mm. The plants that are too expensive get out. They don't even produce. But the most expensive one out of the cheap ones set the price for the rest. That's how it works. Mm. You, you, you okay. understand? Yeah. So if, if there is a plant that offers 500, too expensive to produce. But at some point, the supply and demand cross, and that crossing point sets the price for everybody for that hour. Mm. More or less, is the most expensive plants out of the cheap plants, you know, out of the 200 most economic plants, the most expensive one sets the price for the rest. And that's called marginal price formation. Okay. And that was designed like that in US and UK. And those at the time were mostly fossil fuel systems in the eighties and nineties with coal and gas. Mm. So they wanted to create certain competition on, on marginal cost and marginal price. And that makes sense for a fossil fuel power plant. You have a more efficient gas plant, a bit more expensive to build, but more efficient. It will take less gas to produce one kilowatt hour of electricity. And that's what they wanted to create competition. So in a sense, there is a competition that if your plant is too expensive, it won't even produce and it will be standing still for the hour, which is an economic. When the market works well, it creates this kind of marginal cost, marginal price competition between gas fire power stations. Hmm. Okay. And that we took this in the Nordics and it's called Nordpool and we just adopted it, but we don't have uh, 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 fossil or gas power plants. Uh, we have uh production system, very robust, very efficient production system where the cost structure has nothing to do with gas. It has nothing to do with coal. It has to do with the water, with uranium and with wind. So then have a system where price formation get imported from Germany or from Denmark through these uh, import exports of electricity and through the interconnectors. So the price that you see now doesn't represent the cost structure of electricity production in Sweden. And at this moment, Sweden is exporting a lot uh, because there are high power prices in continental Europe. You use your production and export it and it's profitable to do and so on. I think that the problem of high power prices is an imported problem. Uh, you get import by market design, uh, import exports and, this, and by electrical design also with, with, with interconnectors. It's very complicated to display it in a no, I, way so, so for, for people. If I would conclude this in my simple way, it would be that our resources for energy hasn't really risen in price because it's water, it's wind, it's uranium, and that is yeah. not more expensive. But other plants abroad, which uses fossil fuel and gas, has risen a lot because of the war. And we have an old price setting system for a new kind of technology, which we use in Sweden, so to speak. So uh, since we're in the same system as the rest of Europe, we need to adopt the same prices as fossil driven energy plants abroad. Do, do we get more paid for our wind and hydro Absolutely. power when we export? Absolutely. So if you own a wind farm today, you're the lucky guy who owns a wind farm. Your production cost is the same, it's nearly zero, and you're making a killing, right? You're making a big profit. And this is interesting. It could make even more profit, but for example, in the case of Butterfall, it's quite conservative. So it normally sells a big part of the production two, three, four years ahead and lock in the price up okay. to five years ahead. Hmm. So, so Butterfall is getting this price, which is not as high as the market. Hmm. And the lucky guy who signed that and pay button for fix and, and gets now this ridiculous high market price is making a kill. In Sweden, the brokers that bought at, at a certain fixed price and now, you know, can sell that production at a much higher price, 
also making a fortune. Mm. So this is what happens with markets. You make ultra high profits, which are illogical. But of course it's controversial. You could say, well, why don't we re-regulate the whole thing and make it cost plus? So the producers get a cost plus a reasonable profit, and that's what consumers pay. And that was the old system. And in a situation like now, it will result in lower prices for Swedish consumers. But this is not a normal situation. I think North Pole has served Swedish consumers very well the last decades, you know, normally with, with low competitive prices, because there is lots of supply, more than demand, and results in very low prices in North Pole. Now we are, because of very extreme tension in markets, mostly abroad, uh, then you have these spikes, right? But the system of North Pool has served, I think, consumers quite well for many, many years. If you were to re-regulate production and make it again a monopoly where you get cost plus, you get a little bit fat and happy, right? And that those kind of systems normally, yeah. at least the people who believe on markets, they say that these kind of regulated monopolies create inefficiencies. Uh, mm. Things become cozy, you know. At this moment, something like that will result in lower price for consumers, but I don't think that's true for the last two decades. And, yeah. and the question is, well, what kind of system do you yeah. want to have? A, a, a market-based system that most of the time works well. And, and now there is a lot of discussion in Europe. Should we do certain kind of market intervention? Because the market is not serving society now. It's, it's dysfunctional. It's creating unreasonable high profits for some producers, for some brokers. And families are struggling to make it to the end of the month, especially if you are working class or middle class. This kind of electricity bills that came this year in Sweden, and they can get worse in next winter, can make the difference of making it to the end of the month or not making it. I think there is a question, and I'm a believer on markets, but at the same time, markets were made by humans to serve humans. If at some point this market is not doing the job, and it's been doing the job very well for many years, Maybe we should consider the problem is some people really panic. Some markets fundamentally, because you open a Pandora box that you can intervene on markets. Where do you start or, and how does it end? What you are saying is that this market system has actually worked quite well the last decades, but now we're in an extreme situation and maybe we should sit tight in the boat, even though many families are struggling, but it could be well, maybe not dangerous, but we don't really know what will happen if we interfere in the market. Uh, is that what I'm hearing? And, and for example, here, what's happening, for example, Spain and Portugal has done something right or wrong, but at least is they uh, creating a European debate now that I think has to be had. Discussing things, you should discuss ideas, options, and that's part of, of a democracy as well. So what they have done is to sort of isolate those gas plants out. So they say, well, these, these gas plants we're taking out of, of, out of the pool. They cannot mm -hmm. become price setting because if they can become price setting, that creates on the market. Yeah. So in Spain, for example, 20% of the production comes from those gas plants. They are taken out and, and that electricity is needed actually. Yeah? They, so they produce and they get paid the high price because they have a high cost. The rest of the 80% of the production then goes to the market and becomes price setting. And then, of course, it sets a lower price. And that price is a more reasonable price that correlates better with that 80% production. So they have intervened to say, well, let's take out these gas plants, let them not become price setting. Hmm. And it's a little messy because every time you intervene, it becomes a little bit messy. But what you see, is that prices have been going down. This they mm. introduced like about a month ago or something like that. And prices have indeed gone down in, in the Spanish pool. And the, the Spain the, is Colomel, that's the Spanish North Pool. And mm. prices have gone down. And then as, as a consumer in the end, you get a weighted average where you get to pay this 80% of your bill at, at a reasonable market price and 20% of that energy has a higher price because it has a high produ production cost. Mm. But at least you don't get to pay the high price for for the for everything. Mm. Yeah, for everything. Those kind of things, mm, EU was against, but now uh, the president of the EU Commission said, "Well, we we need to have a, a debate in Europe 
for market design. Spain and Portugal said, we're going to do it with or without you. So at the end, in the last minute, EU gave permission to this. And it has started to create a debate. This is very philosophical. Sometimes when you operate in a system with certain rules that lead to a result, and this system was installed three decades ago, it becomes institutionalized. And nobody wants to talk about the rules of the game anymore. In an extreme situation, maybe we should have a discussion about some of the limitations of some of these rules of the game. When they say, and now the power prices are high because we don't have enough nuclear power. Or the power prices are high because we don't have enough wind power and renewables and, and nuclear is to blame or something. I mean, we have this kind of, you know, <laughs> this debate and I, I see just this kind of thing on TV, so non-fact-based, so religious, you know, I get a bit sad, you know, I, I, surely the Swedish politicians should know better, should have a more technocratic view on this because by just taking this religious, non-based discussion, I don't think you're going to resolve the energy issues. To get closer to the solution for this problem, you need to really have a fact-based discussion on what is really happening. Mm -hmm. And it has nothing to do with the city's supply of electricity. Free supply of electricity is amazing. One of the best yeah. in the world in, in cost, in reliability, and in environmental performance. And it's not gas-dependent. Actually, when I just look at the prices right now, I see, for instance, that the southern part of Sweden will have up to five, six kroner uh, tomorrow, and the northern part of Sweden will have 0 0.05 kroner. Yeah. So they have so five ore in, in Luleå, and they have like six crowns in Malmö. I think this actually can make people angry at each other that you know the southern yeah. people living here say that oh the people up north it's too easy on yeah. them Th this is really the danger isn't it that it turns people against yeah. people that was something introduced after north pool so that's more recent these four price areas are uh, something that was introduced i don't know exactly when the original north pool have one price for the whole of sweden and it ran like this many years. Then some people say, well, it could be useful to change the rules of the game and to introduce these four areas now. And, and so what you see very, very clearly, the south, <laughs> you have more production in the north and it's more isolated market-wise and also infrastructure-wise from these German hot prices. So, mm. so the southern part of Sweden is much closer to that. You could think about Sweden has now these four price areas. You can think of Denmark as price area five and Germany as price area six, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so you are getting this, this is happening. And uh, in the North, they have a wonderful supply of, of hydropower and limited connection capacity to the South. Then you have a local oversupply and resulting in low price. These price areas, they were supposed to give some price signals to reinforce North-South interconnections. So. If you were to reinforce north-south interconnections, you will have a more even spread. You could mobilize more cheap production from the north into the south. But at this moment, it's not serving Sweden well. Mm. It's creating unfairness uh, in the eyes of many, and it's creating frustrations, and it's creating these this bad feelings about that. Uh, again, it's a rule that was designed by some humans to try to serve society. At this moment, those rules are not serving society and are creating a lot of issues. Mm. And, and that's the thing that we need to remind ourselves. Those rules were man-made or human-made. If they were put into place, these four price areas, then maybe we should discuss it to take them away or to do something else with them. Those market designs are designed by humans to mm. serve humans. Mm. It's good to have a discussion, not just to explain why the dysfunctional system is dysfunctioning, which is, you know, it's good to understand the problem, but then you need to go to solution. You're saying that someone actually intervened in the market and see what happened. They divided it and now it's bad. So what you're saying is if we do something now to intervene in the market, who knows what will happen in the future? So it seems to be a quite hard nut to crack. 
I think there are good things with the four price areas at the time. There was a logic for this. It was not complete nonsense. I don't think it was done by religious people. It was done maybe <laughs> as a discussion of more technocratic nature. The but electrical the, talibans. The electrical <laughs> talibans or something. Every time you change the design of something, you improve certain things and you mess up some others. Mm -hmm. Or a, a, a market design that works well in certain situations may not serve well and so on. And the problem of these things is that changing these things overnight, back and forth, back and forth, is difficult. An electoral system or an energy system, you shouldn't be changing them all the time. You need to have certain stability. People are investing hundreds of billions into things on a set of rules. So if you were to change the rules of the game, it can also be a problem for investors, et cetera. Hmm. Or to have the balance between, let's not change the system, because changing the system all the time, that's bad, but if it gets to a point that maybe you need to change the system, it's not an hmm. easy thing. Yeah. Energy is complicated, it's long-term, it's intertwined with politics and with feelings and with people. It's a complicated thing that, that is not so easy to understand. At the same time, it affects everybody's lives. Mm. When the electricity bill comes and it's many thousands of crowns as it's been the last winter, you know, it touches everything. Energy is complicated, but it affects everybody. In Sweden, everything will get better every four years. <laughs> if we listen to what people say, the big things change every four years, everything will get better. So we hear from certain people. Do you think that these prices will change by the politicians in any way or do we need to see the higher prices for quite some time or at least as long as the war in ukraine is going on what are your predictions for the future what, what i see on the debate so far is that this sadly this religious thing oh well we need more nuclear well <laughs> a nuclear new nuclear power reactor takes 15 years to plan and build design and put in place i don't know hopefully in 15 years there's not a war so when I hear proposals like this to solve the high power prices now because of Russia, it's all decoupled. The same if you say that we need more wind farms and, and the price will go down. Well, wind farms don't take 15 years to build. That, that will be something that, that will come in, in, in one or two years. But again, I don't think it's the root cause of the issue. And so sadly, I don't see in the political debate around energy that, that the really root cause of the issue, which is more the rules, the full price areas, market design, marginal price formation, etc., which is technical, but perhaps politicians should put a mm. panel of energy experts and a bipartisan committee or an energy practice commission with members from all political forces. That's what I will advocate uh, for doing. Mm. Put a panel of experts. You can put politicians there, make sure that all po political views are represented as well, if you will. I don't think there will be the politicians that will solve the problem because it's election time. They are not there. They're interested to win election. And if they can play with people's feelings and run certain votes from me to you, that's the top priority now to secure as many votes uh, 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 as possible. Yeah, in your mind, we do not need more things to produce uh, electricity. We need to get a look on the market and get a non-political expert view on how to deal with the electricity. Although this is a Western world problem maybe, and it's not the worst result from it, but still we need to end the war in Ukraine. Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. Hmm. I mean, we can talk about the war, right? That's maybe a bigger problem than the electricity price, right? Exactly. You understand exactly. that? Uh, yeah, yeah. That's something... Uh, much deeper. The world that is being divided east and west is globalization. We are effectively dismantling it. I talked to a Ukrainian pain doctor who is very engaged in the pain society in Ukraine and well known internationally. But we talked about the war in Ukraine and I will air that after your episode. But I actually asked him if he was angry of people in the West because we talked about our economy and high prices while they were dying in their country. I really liked his answer because he said it, it's nothing strange with you thinking about high prices because that's your life and I'm happy that you can live a normal life in your countries. Uh, understood that you don't need to suffer just because we suffer but you cannot forget what's happening in Ukraine. From the people I see people are living their life and, and that was kind of unexpected for me because we are used to air raids and danger al alarms uh, almost every day. We are used to this limitation of 
mobility during night time when no one is allowed to exit house and be on the street unless it's some police people or national guard or so and this was kind of strange for me after all the time of war in ukraine to see that actually people in europe are continuing to live their everyday life you need to help us as well and and i think that's yeah. also very human to you know normalize everything so it's not strange that we blame the war for the high prices because that's true and it's not the worst thing that happens in ukraine there are much worse things than our high prices but it's a consequence so this is not a discussion that can diminish the importance of ending the war in any way but you and i are talking electricity and energy yeah, yeah, and no, that's that's why we need to to talk so no one thinks that we are marginalizing the war in ukraine yeah. we are certainly yeah. not doing that it's a terrible uh, war and it should be stopped immediately so we all agree on that if sweden grid regulates and they do things immediately you will have low prices if you want and there are no shortages the germans i don't think there will be cold houses in sweden next winter because they run for the most in district heating with biomass again not the gas uh, or heat pumps uh, heat mm. pumps with electricity that comes from power produced in sweden not related to gas so so I think, in a sense, you see that other than the marketing that is important in prices from abroad, but the energy system of Sweden is very robust, very mm. robust. So that's and, good. And, uh, but you see that the energy policy, you can see and reflect that the energy policy of, of Germany has been not the best. This I have been saying for decades, not, <laughs> not just now <laughs> to get rights. <laughs> no, no. An energy policy that has resulted in high prices before the war already and high CO2. They have invested a lot to achieve little uh, and, and so on. And, and all the time, which I've said well before, I could never envision this war, I, honestly. But for me, geopolitically, to be depending 50% on the energy supply from Putin. Hmm who had before the, the Russian war already closed the tap to Ukraine. So he has done these kind of things before, eh? before he invaded the country. Oof. We had two chancellors for Gerard Schroeder, was, as you know, in, in one of the largest Russian energy companies in the board. Ever he, since he stepped down uh, as chancellor for Germany. Uh, so, so he has been serving uh, in a board, Russian energy interests. He has been lobbying politicians to say, well, let's put another pipeline, let's do more gas pipe, gas, uh, and this gas comes from Russia, of course, and, and, and so on. So this being a part of the energy policy. Then there's another chancellor, uh, and together they have been 20-something years in power, right, between uh, Gerard Schroeder and Merkel. Merkel was born and raised in former Soviet Union in Eastern Germany, and the east part, I mean, to the right side of the Berlin Wall. <laughs> She was born in a communist uh, sort of system. She's a Democrat. She has been the most powerful politician in Europe because she understood the East and the West. And she's uh, fluent in Russian. When she talks to Putin, she does it in Russian, and, but Putin can also answer in German. Merkel has been very confident that she could handle uh, Putin. And the largest trading partner with, with uh, Germany has been Russia. And, and so all this energy dependency, now you see the vulnerability, the big vulnerability. Mm -hmm. So that you may see cold houses in Germany this winter. Hopefully not. And hopefully we can sort it out, but they're much more vulnerable than, 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 than a country are. like Sweden. Mm -hmm. This is the reflections also that you should have on energy policy. Sometimes the Swedish politicians are making issues or not issues, you know, by and far. Energy policy in Sweden has been adequate and has resulted in a quite good energy system for the Swedes. Uh, CO2-free, uh, low prices, some of the lowest in the whole of Europe consistently for the last decades. Something to be proud of and much better suited for the future environmentally, economically, and geopolitically than the German energy policy. And part of this is also, just to be nice to the, the Germans, it's a bit more difficult to make energy policy in Germany because you have 80 million people, not mm. 10. So of course it's easier to do a very nice energy policy with a good system when when you have all these natural resources for just 10 million. Yeah. But still, I think the Swiss will get some merits and be proud of the energy system you have. 
Mm. So, so it's sorry. kind of comforting words actually for the future that it's not as bad as some people say about the the energy system yeah. in Sweden, although yeah. the prices I, are high. Yeah, exactly. And then we need to talk short, mid, long, right? Short-term problems is price-related, not cost-related. Doesn't mean that you don't have to have a discussion on what should be the future production system of Sweden in 10 years. But all I'm saying is that this is not costing the high energy prices here and now, as we speak. Mm. In the short term, it's more market design and, and price, not cost. And, and in the long term, yes, I think it's important to have discussions on whether you should have more production, how much more production you need, and how should it be produced. That, that's a logical thing. But it's, it's, it's something that is not directly related to high power prices today. Hmm. Okay. When we talk about energy, do you think that we have enough energy to use or should people use less energy? I mean, that's a question that we often hear that we, we should consume less. Do you think that's the case in a technical, electrical way? I'm not talking yeah. politics or, or environmental issues. What about energy in itself? Do we consume too much energy? It depends, but I think we, we should use as little energy as possible. We should utilize the technologies. It's not unlimited. Electricity production, natural resources on Earth are not unlimited and will only create bigger and bigger problems for future generations. You know, try to use energy as thrifty as possible with better windows, better isolation, cars that are more efficient or, or electric, or there is, you know, all those kind of things. Once you have done that energy that has to be used, let's try to do it in the most sustainable way, a way that doesn't damage future generations, hmm. either because of CO2 or because of all, all other issues. This is physics. All energy on, on Earth is nuclear, all, because not only the nuclear power plants, the sun, solar power comes from the sun, and the sun is a fusion nuclear reactor. Sun, the sun is a fusion reactor, nuclear, it's a nuclear reactor, nuclear reaction happening there and produce radiation that gets here to Earth and creates wind evaporates the uh, water that then rains into the water craft. This is all coming from there. But also fossil fuels are created by the sun because what is fossil fuels? It's trees and plants that were there millions of years ago and that they grew thanks to photosynthesis from, from the sun, you know? From the and nuclear reactor. <laughs> from the nuclear reactor. And, and then uh, after years and years of certain uh, pressure conditions and geo geological processes became into oil and gas. And it took Mother Earth hundreds of thousands of millions of years for that process to operate. Now there is a funny generation that drills a hole, takes something that took Mother Earth millions of years to produce and just run it like this over, <laughs> over years or decades and put all of that CO2 on the atmosphere and shit, now the temperatures are going up. You know why power is measuring horsepower? Well, the first machine that transformed fossil fuel into, into power was the steam machine. Some of them came with slightly more power than others because of some had more steam leakage, imperfections in the manufacturing process. So when they, they finished the production of the machine that was done manually, they will test the power against horses. So they will put literally the machine against one horse. Okay. Second horse, third horse. And if the seven or eight horse finally turned against the machine, that was an eight horse power machine that could be sent to an industrial application where they were using eight horses. So if there was a mine there in, you know, 100 miles north that used eight horses to pull up the coal from the mine or something, they say, well, I have an eight horse machine. So it was really power. measuring horses. Yeah, it's measuring horses. Now, the smallest car, the smallest car you can buy is 100 horsepower in the engine, which is the power of a hundred horse. If you think that this is 1000 kilograms, one ton, and that engine, even on a small car, takes this one ton from zero to 100 kilometers per hour in 11 seconds. <laughs> of course, you need the power of a hundred horses to achieve such an acceleration in 11 seconds of one ton from zero to 100 kilometers per hour. We don't reflect that this in brutal amount of power that took mother 
Earth years to produce, and we just burn it on an engine of a hundred horsepower. And that's sustainability that Amish. Amish civilization is civilization that neglects industrial progress. They think it's wrong, so they live in the old way, pre-industrial. So these people, if you want to have 100 horsepower energy for you to pull a car or transport you from this place, you need to actually feed water and grass uh, to these 100 horses. Hmm. This is what you need to understand. And the Amy civilization, we have well past that level of population. The amount of grass and that you need to feed 9 billion people hmm. with the kind of power that we want to have in our houses and in, in, in our cars, there ain't enough grassland for that. The yeah. Amish uh, system, which you could say is, is, is sustainable because you, you cannot over explode the ecosystem. There's only so much grass that allows you to have a certain amount of the horses. That's it. There is people that say we should live the Amish way. That's, that's fine. But then we need another six, seven planets. There, there ain't enough land. So this is something to think about. When you think about one horsepower is the power of a horse, the Amish, you know, pre industrially, you will have to give water and, and grass and, and food every single day to the horse. Hmm. And now we use fossil fuel. Uh, it's amazing. Of course, it's amazing. And then nuclear, nuclear, you need to make these reactors safe because if they have an accident, well, that, that can create a big problem like Fukushima or, or, or even worse. The other unresolved problem is the nuclear waste and the, the most radioactive byproduct of nuclear fission is uh, plutonium. Yes. And plutonium has a semi-disintegration period of 20,000 years. So after 20,000 years, radioactivity levels drop 50%. This is physics. No politician can change that fact. <laughs> you need to wait five semi-disintegration periods, but it goes to half, one quarter, one eighth, one sixteen, one thirty-two. Then it's considered already a, a low radioactivity and not the dangerous. That's 100,000 years. Mm -hmm. So you need to make a storage of this nuclear waste safe for 100,000 years. Hmm. I think this is something that we should be humble to, something that spans beyond the capability of human engineering today to do something like that for 100,000 years. That's a big problem. And it's an unresolved problem. And the most two advanced countries in the world on that problem that took it really seriously, very amazing scientists and professionals and engineers taking this very serious, that's Finland and that's Sweden. Hmm. Even though there's still political debates, no other country in the world has more advanced plans for final storage than, than Finland. It's a bit ahead of Sweden. But in many other countries in the world, for example, the United States doesn't have a single piece of land that fulfills the geological stability conditions of 100,000 years. Remember, there is earthquakes. Sweden and Finland are lucky, again, that there is, um, like for example, in these salt mines, Salt gets produced, these crystals, with very consistent geological condition for 100,000 years. So you, it doesn't tell you that it's guaranteed that it will be stable for the next 100,000, but at least you can say that it's been stable for the last 100,000 years and, and very yeah. likely stable in the future. But there are many countries that have nuclear power that doesn't have such places in, <laughs> in their own mm. countries. Oh. And, and you can say, well, then... The Sweden should import all the nuclear waste from the neighbors. No, but the Swedish law forbids to import any nuclear waste from the neighbors. We like that much. It's it, it, a very special nuclear match that then yeah. has a byproduct that takes 100,000 years. And that's nuclear physics. No politician can chase that. There is a very interesting documentary called uh, Into Eternity, which is a Danish uh, guy that interviews some of the top scientists and engineers working on the Finnish and, and, um, and Swedish uh, nuclear waste programs, which are the best two in the world. It's interesting because he asked them some questions that, that they have difficulties to answer. And they recognize that, no, we haven't resolved this yet. Many questions, and some of them almost theological uh, or philosophical uh, uh, about this. So uh, anyhow, to, to finish uh, what I had to say, once you have crossed certain barriers, we are 9 billion, maybe too many. We got into this fossil thing. We, we light a few nuclear matches. So the nuclear waste is already there. Once you have engineered yourself 
to this level of unsustainability. And I feel a bit guilty of being an engineer because it was engineers who <laughs> took us from the Who in this mess. <laughs> you know, control population into something where we can supply nearly unlimited amounts of everything so that we can produce more food. Then we came with fertilizers so we can produce more of everything. And then that is what has been fueling overpopulation as well, right? So it, it all started with not unlimited, but, but nearly unlimited access to power. So that has fueled all of this. Once we are in this mess, sadly, you will need to use science and technology to get to a sustainable solution. We passed yeah. the limit where the Amy solution is a solution, and unless we will have to kill 90% of the population or something. Technology brought it into this mess and only technology will get us out of the mess now. We need to engineer a way out of this. Yeah. Very wise last words about the energy <laughs> that we talked. We covered a lot of ground here and I have a lot of questions still here, but then we could talk for, for the whole night. I was yeah. planning to talk about electrical cars, if they are good or bad. And I was going to talk about pain, actually, because you said that in the beginning. But for all uh, other listeners with uh, persistent pain, you can actually live a very good life with other interests as well. And then uh, if you listen to these very interesting subjects, you don't think as much about your pain in that moment. This episode has served everyone well, I think. It's, uh, it's a very difficult uh, subject to get into because it's not an easy solution. It's not a new nuclear plant. It's not changing rules. It's a lot of things that we all have to think about. Uh, do you think yeah, we... On electric cars, I can cover very quickly, but electric cars... Uh, yeah, he couldn't resist that they one. Have an impact. <laughs> they, they have an impact. Uh, they are not perfect, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't do it. Uh, the batteries have a lot of impact, heavy environmental impacts. It requires a lot of mining, etc. So... Is there. Maybe we don't talk enough about it. On the other hand, if you can then recycle batteries, which is possible, Northvolt, eh? in Sweden, you know, the Swedish company, the whole engineering design is to make recyclable batteries and they have started to produce batteries from recycled batteries. And so far it seems to be performing, then it's less of an issue because you mine metals yeah. once that then you reuse many times. Also, is geopolitics because most of these rare earths are with China. The world is very dependent on China for those. If the whole cars in Europe are electric, then you have enough stock of batteries to recycle to have very little dependency on China. So I think cars recycle batteries. That's the main thing of electric cars long term. And then make sure you fuel them with with clean electricity. Then electric cars will be good. Until you get there, of course, there are certain environmental impacts that you you pay for. Hydropower is great, but the Lulio River was ecologically dead, right? There was some ecological oh. cost that Sweden had to pay to, to enjoy the ecological <laughs> benefits of Lulio River. Yeah. And on pain, just 20 seconds, I have a pain. I have to live with pain and I have decided, let's put it this way, that I will not let pain take over my life. I'm very active. I like to do things and, and that costs more migraine for me than, than the one I had if I didn't, but for good and bad, probably means I will live shorter. I don't know. I'm sure the medication I'm having will have some impact at some point. One of the things with pain is try to, to fix it. Sometimes the price of fixing it is uh, not do that. When I have more intense periods in my life, I have more migraine as well, but yeah. If I didn't have those more intense periods in my life, I wouldn't have done the things that I have done. So Me, you're not actually letting pain stop you. It's a, a lifelong companion, yeah. like one of my guests said, but, but it won't rule your life. You decided to do things with pain and not getting pain stop things. Today's episode is a proof of that because you wouldn't know all this if you had let pain stop you. You just keep yeah. on. Yeah, mm. exactly. And and sometimes it's too much. So sometimes I need to stop and I need to learn to slow down. On the other hand, I don't regret I've done the things I've done and even at the expense of a more painful life. It means I have pain nearly every day, and but I need to work with it and I have more or less developed functionality. So I'm functional with pain and I, I don't operate 
I, when I don't have pain, it's, it's like a paradise where I, I, I mean, I'm much more productive and so on. But I think there is also very important that the days you have pain, which in, in, for me means that I operate at 70% those days, and this is most of my days, but still you can operate at 70, 80% and accomplish a lot of things and do things where the pain becomes a, a, a downward spiral where it takes over you. You start to yeah. not go to work, you are off, you are on sick leave, it's depressing, you, you, you still have pain and, and pain takes over your life. Don't let pain take over your life, which means you need to work with pain. I have a distinct feeling that when you work at 80%, I would work 8% because you're very productive, I think. So you're doing no, a great job. Yeah. <laughs> I usually say that some have high blood pressure and some have diabetes and some have persistent pain and you need to yeah. uh, decide if you if you can take that or not. The only thing I want is to people to get a valid evaluation so you know what type of pain you have and try the right treatment instead of guessing or jumping between different solutions with no thought just uh, trial and error and that that's not good but if you have done that there are still some people who will have pain and then that's their chronic disease persistent pain try to lure you into some political discussions but you didn't take that bait <laughs> because you were very technocratic which you should be i really enjoyed this talk i think it has given a lot to the listener so thank you very very much and i wish you all the best uh, personally and with your company i think you're doing great work to use the uh, the power grid in a more effective way uh, with actually less resources that's what we need so you're doing a great job any final words anything that we missed uh, do you think congratulations because this thing that you're doing is is really amazing it, it inspires me but I, I i know that this inspires so many other people as well so so congratulations for that thank you it's, it's a big gift you give to us thank you very much bye